Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. I'm Bill Yates, the journal's editor, and this is the second podcast discussing our collection of manuscripts on the neurophysiology of tactile perception. This collection is in honor of Steve Shaw, the scientific director of the Johns Hopkins University Zanville Krieger Mind Brain Institute until his untimely death on June 16, 2014. The focus of Steve's career was to understand the neural basis of tactile perception. With me today is Sleeman Vinsmeya from the University of Chicago. Sleeman, please tell us about how you were acquainted with Steve and some recollections about working with him. So I uh, was a postdoc in Ken Johnson's lab starting in 2003, and Ken Johnson was Steve's mentor and a fellow somatosensory neuroscientist. And before Ken's death, Steve and I interacted casually by virtue of our common interest in tactile coding. After Ken's death in 2005, I ran Ken's lab for several years alongside Steve, and we wrote a bunch of papers together on the neural basis of haptic shape perception. For example, discovering orientation to neurons in primary somatosensory cortex that resemble those that are found in primary visual cortex, and direction to neurons that resemble those uh, found in the medial temporal cortex, a higher level visual area specialized uh, to process visual motion. In fact, I began my neurophysiology career by analyzing some data that one of Steve's former students had collected in his lab investigating adaptation, progressive desensitization caused by continuous stimulation in the peripheral nerve. So, and during that process, Steve and I interacted quite a bit. So that was our professional interactions. Of course, we interacted quite a bit, particularly after Ken's death. But we also were friends, and uh, I guess the two sort of major things that we did together, I guess other than have beers for happy hour, were uh, he played basketball. We played basketball together. We had uh, some very good IM teams, intramural teams at Hopkins. I think we won the championship one year. And the other kind of big occasion that Steve was a big part of was that I had my wedding reception at his place. And... He was gracious enough to open his doors to my family and my hundred closest friends, and that's a testament to what a good person he was and uh, to the close personal relationship that he and I had. So what were Steve's major contributions to neuroscience? Well, Steve was heir to a tradition in somatosensory neuroscience that was founded by Vernon Mountcastle, then continued and, and further developed by Ken Johnson at Johns Hopkins University. And I guess the essential components of this tradition were quantitation, stimulus control, and an emphasis on perception. So first, Mountcastle and Johnson were among the first to use advanced mathematical approaches to discover structure in neurophysiological data. I think it's no exaggeration to suggest that Mountcastle is one of the fathers of modern systems neuroscience. As a student of Ken Johnson's, Steve subscribed to the belief that to understand the nervous system requires math. Second, the Hopkins group pioneered the development of sophisticated apparatuses to stimulate the skin in precise ways. Almost every study required the development of a new apparatus that delivered the stimulus to the skin, oriented edges and shapes, textures, motion stimuli, etc. The apotheosis of apparatus development was the 400 probe stimulator, which was masterminded by Ken and Steve. This device was the tactile equivalent of a visual monitor allowing for the independent control of 400 pixels arrayed over a one centimeter by one centimeter area. Steve and I did a lot of good work with that incredible device, the likes of which will probably not be seen for a long, long time, if ever. And then third, a major emphasis of Mountcastle's, Johnson's, and Steve's was to explicitly link neurophysiological responses to perception. Johnson had clearly articulated the importance of perception in understanding neural coding. Not only must a relationship be established between the stimulus and the neural response, 
but the neural response must also be linked to perception. And the structure of the neural response should also be reflected in the structure of perception. So taking perception into consideration further constrains any hypothesis about neural coding. Steve was a big believer in the notion that ultimately we are interested in perception, so it is important to measure it and relate it to the neural responses. You contributed two articles to this collection. Can you tell us a bit about your articles and their significance? Sure. The first article was a review paper looking at the neural basis of haptic shape perception along the somatosensory neural axis. This is work that was started by Steve and Ken in the 80s and 90s. And I think one of the exciting aspects of this work was these really incredible parallels between tactile and visual shape processing. So the idea is when we grasp an object, we have information about the shape of this object. We know where the edges are, the, you know, the different contours, the different curvatures, and we can identify an object just by grabbing it without even seeing it. And so over the last three decades or so, we and others have studied the neural basis of that ability to recognize shape. And we've discovered that it's very similar to how shape information is processed in the visual system. So in the skin, you have this image of the stimulus. So for instance, if it has edges or contours, that's represented in a spatial pattern of activation in receptors in the skin. And then when you look downstream from these receptors, you find neurons that extract information from this neural image in a way that is very similar to what's observed in the visual system. So for instance, you have orientation selective neurons, you have motion selective neurons, and beyond that, you see neurons that are selective for combinations of orientations or that are uh, invariant with respect to where the stimulus is located on the skin. All of these are canonical properties of visual neurons. So what we see is that the somatosensory system and the visual system have evolved similar mechanisms to extract information about shape. And even though the, the receptors are different, the receptors involved in, in touch and vision in the skin and in, in the retina respectively are different, the way information from this sensory sheet is extracted seems to be very similar across these two modalities. The other paper is actually the last paper that Steve and I worked on together. And this was a paper that I started when I was at Hopkins and then I moved to the University of Chicago and they sort of put it on the back burner, but then Steve's passing sort of spurred uh, us to, to finish it. And this was a paper where we, you know, having established these remarkable similarities between vision and touch, we wanted us to, to see how far they go. And so we want to see, you know, in vision, we are able to recognize objects of arbitrary complexity. And that's what the visual system is doing on a daily basis. For instance, being able to recognize different faces is a notoriously difficult problem. And so what we want to see is how, how good is the sense of touch at recognizing arbitrarily complex shapes. And what we found is that if the shapes are simple, the two systems are analogous. But as the shapes get more and more complex, the visual system is still able to do this recognition task, but the haptic system or the somatosensory system uh, starts to break down very rapidly. And so the idea was, even though there are some very striking similarities between vision and touch, we have a lot more experience visually with complex shapes, and we're much better at complex shape recognition visually than we are in touch. So that shows that maybe, you know, it's hard to, to draw strong conclusions from the underlying neural basis, but most likely it has to do with the fact that we have just much more experience uh, with complex visual shapes than 
than we do with tactile ones. Sleeman, a total of 42 articles were included in the collection on tactile perception. In your opinion, what is the value of this group of papers? Well, first, the authorship list is a who's who of people doing interesting work in somatosensory neuroscience, which is very gratifying. Many of the papers are follow-ups on work that was begun by Steve, so I think he'd be pleased that his work is having an impact and being carried forward. Second, it is noteworthy that these papers take many different tacks on the issue of tactile coding. So the approaches range from neuroimaging to psychophysics to neurophysiology to computational modeling. And there are at least three different models represented, rodents, non-human primates, and humans in this collection of papers. So it's reassuring to see that even though we've lost such an important figure in the field, it remains exciting and lively. This special issue is a testament to the vibrancy in the field that Steve played a major role in shaping. Thanks, Lehman, for speaking with us today. You can read the collection of articles on the neurophysiology of tactile perception, as well as our other collections on the journal website, jn.org.